0: Streaming from Abbey Cat Recording Studio in Chicago.
1: You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. All right, welcome to Influenced. My name is Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And this is the second season of Influence. For this episode, we're covering the French icon's potentially the biggest French music act of all time, Daft Punk.
0: And w- one of the biggest uh, vocal- uh duels of 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 oh. all time.
1: They got their start in the late 80s when Guy-Manuel de Cristo and thomas bangalter excuse my uh french name pronunciation if i got those wrong <laughs> but um, they they met when they were around 15 16 17 in secondary school in france um in in i think 87 and kind of immediately like hit it off in terms of just like liking a lot of the same music a lot of their early influences they feel like are like like they were definitely like kids of the 80s when they were growing up they were kind of like oh i don't know if all this disco stuff is super cool cuz mm-hmm. of course when you're whenever you're growing up you never think that kind of stuff is cool so they were a little bit more into like some of the more rock and early kind of what would become kind of the early alternative music like bands like 10cc mm-hmm. and of course like the the um they loved this this the late 60s and early 70s music with like Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys and of course, the Beatles and things like that. Uh, they actually formed their first band with a third member who actually ended up going on to be one of, become one of the founding members of the kind of indie rock band Phoenix, also another big French musical export as well. But that first band was called Darling after the Beach Boys song. And right. they only, I think they only really made a few recordings. If you look th- If you look up their band Darling... Daft Punk members online. You can find a few early recordings of the band on YouTube. They actually got signed to um, the record label run by the kind of early 90s, late 80s kind of experimental alternative rock band Stereo Lab, who also kind of were an early rock band that flirted with some electronic influence and things like that. But they were really inspired at that time by a lot of that like mid 70s rock bands that took a lot of kind of that electronic influence so now kind of as an example of that sound i want to play 10 cc's i'm not in love off their 1975 album the original soundtrack and you can really hear that kind of beginning influence of some electronic production and and heavy heavy synthesizers and drum machine use kind of creeping into what was otherwise a very acoustic-based instrumentation at the time in the mid-70s. So here's 10cc, I'm Not In Love. Big boys don't cry. Big boys do cry. So you can really hear some of that early electronic influence with the drum loops and the heavy synthesizers and keyboards. But that was definitely a big early influence on a lot of that kind of more indie rock inspired music that those guys were working on in the beginning of their career.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, with Darlin... And, you know, I actually 10 CC was, you know, uh, sounded a lot different than everything else that was around back in like, oh, those mid seventies. Yeah, so I can absolutely. see why they were kind of picking up on that, but
1: Definitely.
0: they moved away from indie rock. I, I think, uh, partly because, or big reason was they just felt that their music was kind of painfully average.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially in the, in the early nineties, when like the big bands of alternative rock were super ambitious, like the Smashing Pumpkins or Mm -hmm. something like Nirvana, they probably were just like, well, the music we make with the guitars definitely doesn't really compete with that. So let's try making music a little bit different or try to find some other way that really works for them. And they definitely found a way that really worked for them, just like the guy Manuel and, and Thomas just decided to really get obsessed with like the beginnings of in the late or in the early nineties with samplers and things like that. They were really beginning to kind of understand what you could do with sample based music and just drum machines and drum loops and early kind of getting their hands on what synthesizers they could actually get their hands on. So, and they ended up also getting kind of obsessed with another, um, European musical export getting big around the time. Primal scream who had just kind of released this indie rock electronic combination magnum opus album called Screamadelica that Guy Manuel has really said brought it together for them, that you could actually kind of look at things from a rock band perspective, but use electronic music as your kind of vehicle for for that medium. So I'm going to play real quick a cover off that album Screamadelica called Slip Inside This House, which is actually originally a psychedelic rock song from the 1960s. And if you listen to the version by Primal Scream off of Screamadelica, this does not sound at all like a psychedelic rock song. It sounds more like a like a rave than a Jimi Hendrix jam. So here's Slip Inside This House off of 1991 Screamadelica. A big influence on kind of this beginning era of Daft Punk's electronic sound. So that kind of electronic rock hybrid is definitely what Daft Punk were thinking a lot about as they kind of switched their priorities to a more electronic mindset. By like 1994, 95, uh, shortly after the um, 93 breakup of Darlin', they they had some songs uh, kind of already together and they were actually starting to kind of play some raves with some of their early singles like Da Funk as uh, kind of their earliest single that really started to make some waves and kind of the rave sphere and things like that, which all culminated in them getting signed to, at the time, one of the major labels, Virgin Records. Right. And then they very quickly got their um, debut album together called Homework, released in 1997. And I'm going to play their biggest hit off of that album, just titled Around the World, here in just a second. But they really wanted to kind of make an homage to a lot of their favorite Chicago and Detroit and New York house producers that they had really been inspired by so mm-hmm. they really wanted to kind of make a house music opus with homework and they definitely succeeded in that like they definitely started experimenting with those vocoded vocals that they would also kind of really really popularize or kind of bring back to the to the mix and with sounds so- songs like the funk and around the world and rolling and scratch and they were definitely hitting some of the major, major uh, club and rave scenes of the kind of mid 90s. So here's all around the world off of Daft Punk's 1997 album Homework.
0: Yeah, another pretty cool thing about that first album, Homework, is um, they had a song on there called "Teachers," definitely. where they they literally reference a lot of their major influences, uh, you know, people who influenced them. Absolutely, the I mean years. the whole
1: the whole song is just essentially just them listing names and some of their favorite musicians, yeah, just
0: kind of paying you know paying back or you know a little homage back oh, to definitely. you know people like Brian Wilson and George Clinton, Dr. Dre. Even Ray Davies is mentioned. Yeah, so absolutely. pretty cool.
1: One thing that Daft Punk has kind of always been really good about is like kind of paying homage to the music and the the sounds that came before them. And um, kind of I think that's one of the things that they've done so well is like one of the reasons that made their electronic music so easy to digest to a lot of people that didn't necessarily listen to electronic music, like a lot of rock rock kids and and pop music fanatics and things like that is like a lot of the music, the rhythms and the chord progressions and the samples and things like that would all be taken from a lot of these funk and disco tracks that do just have great grooves and, and things like that. Like a lot of those songs, like the, that they would be taking, um, like I'm going to play a, uh, a song here off their next album discovery in just a second. But the, the discovery song is made up of like the music itself is made up of like three or four different samples kind of just stacked on top of each other to make the sound that otherwise you wouldn't really be able to make otherwise and it's it's just a very cool way to kind of start crafting sounds and daft punk around the the late 90s early 2000s it was artists like daft punk the avalanches gorillas and and other electronic artists like aphex twin who was a major influence to daft punk as well like i'm going to play a Second of the song Window Liquor, here, real quick, just an Aphex Twin single that Daft Punk have talked a lot about being a major influence on kind of the sound expansion they wanted to chase with their 2001 Discovery album. So here's Window Liquor by Aphex Twin, real quick, from 1999.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: and they were all I'm, I'm sure inspiring each other as well but they were really just taking this version of of electronic music and really just refining it for the kind of coming kind of coming couple decades so and and on daft punk's next album discovery they really just decided they wanted to kind of make not just a house album because because homework is a great album but it is very much like a house music album mm-hmm. in the sense that every song is very hard hitting and very repetitive and and things like that. So they wanted to kind of open things up a little bit more and get a little bit more synth pop oriented and just like bring in some some more instruments that weren't just a couple of synthesizers and drum machines like they have Wurlitzers and other electronic keyboards kind of popping up on some of these songs on Discovery and they were just also beginning to bring in a few other collaborators like on on multiple songs on Discovery the producer a, a kind of Chicago house producer that had been very inspirational to the band themselves. His name's Romanthony. He features on a number of songs and he features on the lead vocal of One More Time, the song I'm going to play in just a second here. And they also collaborated with the um, artist Todd, Todd Edwards, I believe, who's another house producer who had a big influence of them on, uh, on Discovery. So here's One More Time featuring Romanthony uh, by Daft Punk from 2001's Discovery. And this is again another major track for the band it was I think I don't know if it topped any charts but it was a major chart hit and was a kind of for long hit like it, it 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 has even more streams than harder better faster stronger which we which we opened the show with and is kind of one of the seminal daft punk tracks so here's one more time off of discovery from 2001 by daft punk <laughs>
2: One more time, this cabin feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, this cabin feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. One more time, this cabin feeling so free. We're gonna celebrate, celebrate and dance so free. Time. This so free.
0: We're okay that's off the discovery album that you referenced blake from 2001 and they were recording that back in 99 and and uh as legend has it uh while they were recording um a drum machine exploded one day and when they woke up the next morning they were robots yep right
1: yeah androids <laughs> androids
0: and from uh, from that time on onward uh they were they were robots
1: and they they haven't really been seen publicly in anything except the robot costumes uh since that since that day i think before 1999 when they would perform live and stuff they would still generally wear like either like a just a cheap halloween mm-hmm. costume mask or just like sometimes even just like a bag on their heads so that but after 1999 and for all the discovery appearances and s- since then they've been uh the the androids that we that we've come to know and after discovery was kind of the first time that they really went on any sort of tour they really started like playing like they had played some kind of raves and things like that mm-hmm. prior prior to that but they really started kind of ramping up the amount of things that they were doing which sort of led to them kind of wanting to take things back to a more minimalist and even like something a little bit more approaching what they would feel like would be like a like a rock band putting on a show mm-hmm. uh, which was what they were kind of eventually kind of chasing after for their next album, which would become 2005's Human After All, which um, it kind we, of
0: kind of mixed reviews on that Yeah, one, right? it
1: unso- unfortunately got sort of mixed reviews. I'm going to play the track Robot Rock here off uh, the album in just a second. Probably one of the bigger hits and definitely is a great illustration on the kind of distorted and kind of very heavy environment they were going for with this album. But This album was made in, I think, under two months. I think it was about five or six weeks that they spent recording Human After All. So Mm -hmm. it was definitely a kind of response to the genre encasing album that they wanted to make with Discovery. They wanted to kind of do almost the opposite of that and kind of make something a little bit more focused sound-wise and a little bit, again, more what more felt like a a quote-unquote live band playing electronic music. So here is Robot Rock off of Human After All from 2005.
0: after releasing uh, Human After All in 2005, uh, Daft Punk toured like relentlessly in 06 and 07 on this Alive tour, which um, won over just throngs of, of fans.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was one of the most successful tours of the kind of 2006-2007 uh, festival and tour season. They had one of the most famous, probably Coachella, headline sets. Off of the Alive tour where they had like a whole pyramid and they were playing in like a situation with their robot costumes the whole time. And this kind of Alive 2007 set that they put together was pretty famous for kind of reintroducing a lot of people to these songs from Human After All that a lot of people initially kind of disregarded Mm -hmm. because they were like, oh, it's just Daft Punk messing with guitars and things like that, which they really hadn't done before with actually making, you know, live live instrumental music and things like that. So this this album kind of blended a lot of those songs from that album with their older songs and things like that. Like I'm going to play just a snippet here of it's it's on the Alive 2007 album. It's the Touch It Technologic um mashup, but you can hear some elements of robot rock kind of coming in and out of the song so it's really a mashup of these of their whole career up until this point kind of just across all these songs so you can really hear it well in this touch it technologic track um so i'll hear i'll play it here r- real quick so here's touch it slash technologic off of the alive 2007 album by daft punk
2: bring it, pay it watch it turn it leave it stop it, watch it turn it, leave it, stop from oh, that. Watch it turn it, leave it, stop from that. Watch it shit, rip, 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 pay, what, 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 turn it, leave it, stop.
0: Yeah, and that that album, Alive two thousand and seven, won a Grammy Award for Best Electronic Dance Album. And and really, uh it really um that tour and that album just won over fans in North America big time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I do think that album and that cult just tour in general really cemented them as kind of one of the Artists in the sort of upper echelon of, of kind of pop and electronic music, which mm-hmm. is definitely one of the reasons they were kind of able to kind of bring this next opportunity together. And they actually were were in kind of for the 2000 between 2008 to about 10, they were working pretty heavily. On the um, Disney remake and reboot of the uh, the Tron movies, they actually were kind of the official soundtrack artists for, they created the whole soundtrack for the rebooted Tron. And I'm going to play just a quick snippet of one of the tracks, just deraised one of the more popular tracks off of this Tron uh, legacy soundtrack. When the movie actually came out, the movie itself ended up kind of getting sort of middling reviews. Mm-hmm. But the... Um, the general consensus was it was a great Daft Punk music video. <laughs> so it was essentially just an yeah. extended, a lot of people just went to go go to this movie as essentially just to go see an extended Daft Punk music video with a bunch of crazy special effects and things like that. So the, 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 the soundtrack ended up being probably the most successful and most enduring part of the Tron legacy kind of experience. But the guys in Daft Punk Guy Manuel and Thomas actually really view the Tron Legacy soundtrack as their first quote unquote studio album, because this is the first time they hadn't just recorded something in their home studios. Most Mm. of the time, their last three albums, uh, Human After All, Discovery and Homework, were all really just recorded in various home studios with just kind of whatever gear they had lying around. And so this is the first time they were actually bringing their setup into some of the 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 studios that you know Disney has access to probably the some of the nicest studios oh, in the for world. Sure. Yeah. And they were also, as as it was a, a movie soundtrack, they were working with professional orchestration. Mm-hmm. And like there are like some of these songs are like kind of a combination of orchestral arrangement and the daft punk kind of signature electronic sound. And you can definitely hear some of that on on DeRez, the track I'm going to play here real quick, which just has like a pummeling pounding bass and synth line that's kind of arc- orchestrated by these like very, very heavenly kind of orchestral tones. So it's it was really an, a quite op- eye opening experience for Daft Punk. And they I think you can find interviews where they even talk about feeling like kind of out of place and almost like they were interns working at these Disney studios just because they were like, oh, wow, we're allowed to play with all these toys we've never oh, yeah. had before and things Definitely. like that. So it definitely got them kind of appetized and jazzed about what they could br- perform in major studios. But here is Derezzed off the 2010 Tron Legacy soundtrack by Daft Punk. Right, nice. And you can really hear that, like, obviously it's still that heavy, intense electronic music that Daft Punk is known for, but it's just got a much more hi-fi and kind of high-end sound now that they've really had that opportunity to get into some of the biggest and best studios in the world.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, as they started then, after that, uh, beginning to work on what would become their fourth and final album um random access memories um they really wanted uh to take their sound uh and you'll you'll describe this better than me but in a in a direction that sort of think uh west coast you know um popular west coast uh music from call it the 70s doobie brothers uh fleetwood mac bands like that that were just really um Really big hits back in those days. Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think they even mentioned, I think you can even find uh, uh, an interview where Guy Manuel talks about wanting to almost make an Eagles record. That's a Daft Punk album or whatever. So we're here, Here, we'll just play real quick uh, What a Fool Believes off the, the Doobie Brothers Minute by Minute album from 1978. It's the kind of one of the seminal Michael McDonald era Doobie Brothers songs, if you want to get a little bit more about that. History, you can check out our Doobie Brothers podcast, but this song really kind of epitomizes that almost kind of what would be described as yacht rock, I feel like, and it (laughs) definitely is like a a very low-key laid-back, but still really groovy style of music that Daft Punk was really inspired by in the kind of looking into what they would want to make for random access memory. So here's What a Fool Believes off of the 1978 Minute by Minute album written by Michael McDonald for the Doobie Brothers.
0: Michael McDonald and and the synth sound from the Doobie brothers minute by minute was obviously a huge album. That's the biggest hit off that album. And really for Daft Punk, having that like set, set their sights on creating a a huge album was, uh, that was definitely an influence on them. Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, they definitely wanted to kind of hit something, write an album that kind of hit to some of that like timeless, music from the 70s and 80s like that still sounds super fresh today and they also like in my opinion for uh random access memories they assembled what might be one of the greatest like album bands of all time like the i'm just going to read off a name of some of the musicians and other people involved or really musicians and performers involved with making this album and it and it starts with Nile Rodgers, who's kind of one of their main compadres and collaborators on this album. But Nile Rodgers, Pharrell Williams, Todd Edwards—they're kind of uh, one of their general collaborators on their their past albums. The the iconic Giorgio Moroder, the producer, the soul singer Paul Williams, and then uh, some of the most iconic session players across kind of the music industry like Paul Jackson Jr., who played on Thriller, and of course, Omar Hakim from mm-hmm. The Weather Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like an absolute crazy number of musicians. And that's not, definitely not even everyone. That's not even half the musicians who played on Random Access Memories. You also have animal collective artists like Panda, Panda Bear and, and Julian Casablancas from The Strokes popping up. So it's a, kind of an insane list of collaborators on this album. But they were really trying to make like a a timeless kind of album that like one of the things that they really kind of relied on in their past albums was just like tons and tons of technology and kind of making some of the most modern music you could make at the time mm-hmm. with samplers and, and hundreds of cents and things like that. And they kind of wanted to draw. There's there's interviews or you can find where they they talk about wanting to kind of for this album. Make an album where the technology kind of hid under the music instead of being all over on top of the music. Like they limited themselves to just a couple synthesizers on the this album that they kind of were their 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 most trusted synthesizers and things. Not to say there aren't a lot of electronic elements and things like that on the album, but mm-hmm. they were they were limiting themselves into what they would actually bring. They wouldn't be like, okay, we're going to bring every synthesizer on the planet to this. This album, they wanted to kind of let some of the songs breathe and Mm -hmm. and they were still using technology in the way that like some of these songs, they talk about the song touch off of the uh, Random Access Memories album having something like 200 tracks on it, which, of course, in the Mm -hmm. 70s, you were limited to maybe 60 tracks if you had a great console. So you couldn't really do something like 200 tracks on a song in, in the 70s or 80s. But that's that's what they mean by wanting to kind of use technology to continue to to make the music they want to make, but not use so much technology that they're they're overloading the music or anything. So I'm going to play Lose Yourself to Dance featuring Nile Rogers and Pharrell Williams off of uh Random Access Memories, kind of one of the most one of the biggest singles and one of the most kind of standout tracks of the album. And the, the groove and guitar rhythm of this this track is amazing. And Nile Rogers is definitely just playing his toes off. So here's Lose Yourself to Dance, featuring Pharrell Williams and Nile Rodgers from the 2013 Random Access Memories.
0: Okay, well, Daft Punk definitely um, uh, made their goal there because uh, that album won five Grammys in 2014, and uh, that included Album of the Year as well as Record of the Year. Definitely for "Get Lucky."
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was that that was that was an insane album. It was definitely one of the last albums that has released that I feel like I can remember when it came out, and it was everywhere, and like I was seeing billboards and everything. So, like I. I remember when that album came out and everyone was listening to it, it was it was kind of a, a, a major event when Random Access Memories came out. And it definitely felt like with that album, sort of Daft Punk accomplished really everything they wanted to mm-hmm. to do with their careers specifically. And they they then they were kind of just like at the point where they just wanted to kind of collaborate with some other artists that they they they. Um, kind of admired and things like that. And they they before, kind of in the years, kind of before Random Access Memories, when they were kind of really becoming kind of a mainstay in the pop culture kind of lexicon, they were starting to kind of get sampled by other artists themselves. Obviously, Mm -hmm. they were major samplers. And so it's kind of a a nice precedent to see Def Punk actually getting sampled by some artists. But obviously Kanye West, uh, with his song Stronger, made a very, he essentially sampled Harder, better, faster, stronger, as the um, kind of the hook for his song "Stronger," and then Busta Rhymes, um, they actually use part of Busta Rhymes' version of "Touch It" in the um, Technologic um, Alive 2007 remix that we we played just a bit ago. But Busta Rhymes also utilized a very heavy sample of the Daft Punk song "Technologic," but. After the release of Random Access Memories and kind of the victory lap, so to speak, they mm-hmm. went on just like uh, promoting that that with the Grammys and everything like that. They were very in demand as kind of probably one of, if not some of the most in demand producers in the music industry, which led to them producing like at least four or five songs off of Kanye West's 2013-2014 album Yeezus, which was kind of one of his bigger and most experimental works at that time. And then they ended up producing another a couple art songs from the uh, electronic pop and indie rock band Parcels as well, and uh, working with a number of uh, they actually also ended up producing a song from Pharrell Williams uh, hip hop group Nerd as well. So they were working with some of their collaborators and things like that. But then their most successful collaboration and production work definitely came with in 2016. They worked with The Weeknd on his uh, album Starboy, and they produced both kind of the two main singles of the album, which is I Feel It Coming, which I'm going to play here in just a second, and the title track, um, which actually is one of the most streamed songs on Spotify. It has almost 2 billion streams, the song Starboy, um, which I believe hit, I think the song Starboy hit number one. Which might have actually been Daft Punk's only number one in their career. It was their it was um, number one song. Yeah, yeah. So Starboy was Daft Punk's kind of uh, final outing as an as a featured artist, as a collaborative artist. As as uh, both Starboy and I feel it coming. List Daft Punk as performing artists along with the weekend, but they were also the uh, producers of the album as well. So I'll play. I'll feel it coming here real quick off of the uh, weekend's. 2016 Starboy album, which is really the last major release from the band Daft Punk. So here's I Feel It coming from 2016.
0: Cool to hear that Daft Punk sound coming through on that, uh, number one song from the weekend. So I, you know, that's, that's just awesome for oh, those guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then I guess we can talk a little bit about the breakup, uh, during the pandemic, February, yeah. uh, 22nd of, uh, 2021. So, um. A uh, lot of people, very upset, seemed pretty sudden to
1: a lot of people. Oh, yeah. They they just announced the um, breakup with a, essentially, they just uploaded a, u- a video to YouTube. A lot of people, when they got the notification that Daft Punk uploaded a new video, they thought it was maybe going to be for a new song. Right, exactly. And then the video was just called Epilogue, yeah. and it's just a, um, it's a video taken from a um, old, I think, video, or an old movie they made to promote Human After All. That actually shows the robots kind of blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was their kind of final message to the um to their fan base. Yeah, and uh, even
0: a lot of other performers like uh oh, yeah. you know, Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, he he kinda likened it to, you know, kind of a sudden death of a family member. It, oh yeah. it you know, was yeah. really, really impactful to a lot oh, of people. Oh
1: definitely, yeah, definitely so. But I do I do kind of feel like uh, like they some of the collaborators and things like that, like Todd Edwards, has talked about how both of them, both Guy Manuel and Thomas, are still both very friendly. They just kind of felt like they had really kind of achieved their mission, and like the 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 uh, it's the I'll I'll use this song to kind of close out the episode here. But the 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 first track on uh, Random Access Memories is just called "Give Life Back to Music," and I feel like that was really their um one of their kind of mOs as a grant, as a group, they wanted to kind of bring some life back to the kind of electronic and and sort of a lot of the music that a lot of people would would consider some of the more lifeless forms of music, mm. so to speak, in, in kind of quotation marks. They wanted to kind of give life back to that music. And they're 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 definitely see their success with especially random access memories has definitely seen in the last decade a lot of of course the weekend is one of the biggest acts to kind of hop onto this sort of reimagining of kind of disco and uh, funk influence that the Daft Punk really, really prioritized and kind of headlined, but Dua Lipa's newest album, Future Nostalgia also has a lot of what I would consider to be Daft Punk kind of disco influence and, and things like that. And it's also the, 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 the random access memories album also really helped kind of revitalize interest in a lot of that kind of, Funk And a lot of Nile Rodgers work with like bands like Chic and things like that, that had otherwise been seen as kind of passe or kind of cheesy 80s music is Mm -hmm. now definitely seen as like some of the best funk music and and greatest groovy music that's ever kind of been existed in the scene. So I do kind of want to end our, our episode of Influenced here off with the song Give Life Back to Music off the 2013 album Random Access Memories. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been Influenced. I'm Blake Sokoloff. Yeah, and I'm Robert Dean. And again, you can follow us now on Instagram at justinfluence.podcast if you want to get kind of updates on when we're going to be releasing everything and and everything like that. So here's Give Life Back to Music by Daft Punk from 2013 on Random Access Memory. So thank you guys so much. This has been Influenced.